KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Last week, Congress passed and the president signed into law a new stimulus package, another stimulus package. Once again, this one focused on small business, almost half a trillion dollars. It is a lot of money. So what's in this package? How will it help to find this out? We checked in with Scott Diekel, an associate professor and chair of the Department of Business and Economics at Ursinus College. Check it out. So last week, I think it was $484 billion, the amount of the relief package that was signed into law. This is kind of the fourth relief package that's been pushed through. Uh, A lot of the money Mm -hmm. went to that Paycheck Protection Program for small business. I think it was like almost $310 billion. Uh, Of course, that Mm -hmm. Paycheck Protection Program went dry after two weeks. Do you think this latest infusion, is this going to be enough? I think it probably will not be. Uh, Even before the first Paycheck Protection Program went into effect. There was a study conducted by an economist named Glenn Hubbard, who used to be an advisor to President George W. Bush and is now uh, an economist at Columbia University. And he predicted uh, on the order of $1 trillion would be necessary to uh, keep uh, small businesses afloat and paying their employees during this uh, lockdown period. So if you add up the combined uh, funds allocated from the two bills, uh, we're at about $670 billion now. So um, based on that estimate from before uh, the program even went into effect, I, I would suspect there's still uh, going to be a lot of demand uh, even after this round of funding. Besides this money for small business, uh, what else is in this bill? What else should people be aware of? Sure. So there's also $75 billion allocated for hospitals. As you and your listeners might be aware, uh, hospitals have had to suspend elective surgeries and uh, some other treatments that aren't uh, emergencies or life-threatening. And those have been a big source of revenue for them. And they've basically been shut out of those uh, sources of revenue for about two months now. So a lot of hospitals are really hurting financially and need some money to help keep themselves uh, solvent. So there's a lot of money going for that. Uh, Another $25 billion is going for testing of the coronavirus. A lot of public health experts say the key to uh, opening up the economy again is having widespread testing. Uh, the leading public health experts like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks both say we aren't uh, where we need to be with that. So hopefully some of this funding will help get us closer to where we need to be for that. And uh, the other big component of it is about $50 billion for Small Business Administration disaster loans through a program that was already in uh, existence before the payroll protection program came about. Now, in that last bill we talked about, uh, we we heard afterwards stories coming out that I think like Shake Check, I think I just saw something, the Lakers mm-hmm. got money from it. Uh, is mm-hmm. this bigger companies trying to cash in? Do you think this is good nature, thought they were eligible, didn't? And are we going to see another round of this with this money, you think? Uh, I think 
that large corporations are going to be more reluctant to seek this money now. Um, I think uh, the exposure is for companies that um, that apply for this fund is is not positive. Uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, Shake Shack, like you mentioned, getting money. Uh, we all know those are big restaurant chains and uh, people don't feel good about taxpayer money going to them. At the same time, there is a case to be made for some large companies to get some of this money. Um, large companies employ lots of employees. Just because a company is large doesn't mean it is extremely profitable. And uh, some of these companies may well be able to use this money to keep employees on their payroll, which has broader benefits to society. So um, my guess is that companies that know that they would be detected for uh, asking for this money and think they could find a way to get by without it won't ask for it. But uh, even now, there's still some fairly large publicly traded companies who uh, are known to have uh, gotten this money, and they said they're holding on to it because they honestly don't think they can survive without it or get by without laying off some of their employees without it. Do you know how they determine who qualifies for this? Uh, I have a rough idea. Um, there's uh, a threshold of 500 employees. Um, now, one thing that came up in the first round of this funding is there was loopholes where uh, the 500, you, you could still apply for the loan if you had more than 500 employees, but they were scattered along, uh, among different sites. So that's how a big company, which have more than 500 employees, could still ask for the money because um, they could say, well, our individual restaurants have less than 500 employees at them and they would apply on behalf of the individual restaurants. Uh, something similar happened with the chain of auto dealerships, too. So uh, in the newest round of funding, uh, they have tightened up those rules, and I think now there's a strict limit of 500 employees. So those those new rules will probably uh, go part of the way in, in reducing uh, the amount of money that goes to the big firms as well. Am I understanding correctly that they're not – the government isn't disclosing – who receives, like there's not a list of, of who comes forth with the, or who gets the money and isn't it taxpayer money? Shouldn't we know that? Yeah, so that that's basically correct. Uh, the the language in the, the two stimulus bills doesn't require the government to disclose this. Now, with Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and Steak Shack, there was uh, pre-existing regulations that had the effect of requiring them to disclose it. Since they were companies with publicly traded stocks, uh, they have to file uh, public disclosures with the Securities and Exchange Commission when they raise large amounts of money through borrowing or other means. So this was a case where they raised some money through borrowing, and they were required through pre-existing rules to disclose it. But in terms of the actual language of the bills, there isn't a requirement that uh, this be disclosed. So there could very well be some large companies that don't have publicly traded stock that will still be taking advantage of this program. Do you think, uh, given what we know about Washington, D.C., this was by design, or is this just oversight in trying to frantically put together a bill to help people? I, I think that there's probably elements of both. Um, I think that uh, it's clear that they're trying to get the money to people as fast as they can in multiple directions. When you look at uh, some of the programs that target households, uh, there's not much scrutiny of the household income level or uh, types of 
or whether or not people have jobs uh, in, in regards to getting money. And uh, I think some of that also occurred with uh, the, the small business loan package as well. Um, I think they just wanted to get a bill written and passed as soon as they can. And they also wanted to make the program as simple as possible for the Small Business Administration to uh, run and operate. So I think they were trying to keep the rules as simple as possible. Now, uh, were there occasions when uh, the members of Congress were negotiating these packages that someone uh, on the behalf of some large businesses might have suggested it's better to make these things less transparent? I I think there's a good chance of that, too. and uh, I, I think just it, it wouldn't have been difficult to put language in the package saying, like, the Small Business Administration should uh, publish a list of borrowers for these loans um, so the public could have an idea of, of the types of firms that are getting these. Who is ultimately in charge of deciding who gets the money? How is it right. funneled down to the individual banks and they make the decisions? Where What's kind of the chain of command here, if, if you could shed some light on that? Right. So it's a two-step screening process. Uh, the first step is to apply with your bank, and the bank makes a decision on whether or not the application should go on to the Small Business Administration. So the bank is the first round of screening. And then if the bank approves the loan, then the Small Business Administration also makes a decision. Uh, so, so the bank you can think of as the first line of screening, and then the Small Business Administration is the second line. Are we getting this right? I mean, this is unprecedented, so I don't say this, you know, with an accusing mm-hmm. finger, because I think a, a lot of people are trying to create things to help on the fly. But are we getting right. it right? Do you feel like we're pointing the money in the right places? Are, are we doing this correctly? Or do you think there are ways we could be more effective to make sure everybody gets the help they need? I think that now that we've had a few weeks to see how these programs work, there are some refinements that could be made. And, uh, you know, I think with respect to the 500 employee rule, I think there's already been some uh, refining done that's been worthwhile. Um, Another complication that has arisen and that I think should be addressed has to do with unemployment insurance. Um, So we now have this interesting situation where um, the federal government is adding $600 per week to unemployment insurance compensation uh, across the board, uh, across the country. And what this means is that uh, unemployed individuals will get their unemployment insurance through their state programs. And each state has uh, different formulas for determining how much people should receive when they go on to unemployment insurance. And some states have more generous programs than others. And what we're seeing now is the employees of some businesses find that if they're in a state with generous levels of unemployment insurance, that insurance plus the extra $600 a month from the federal government pays them more than they were earning uh, when they were employed. And it puts some small business owners in uh, a challenging position where they've applied for the payroll protection program, and uh, the payroll protection program requires them to keep their employees on staff and, and pay them. But their employees would actually prefer to collect unemployment insurance because they were making more money doing that. So I, I think it would make some sense if the government could uh, 
uh, address some of that imbalance. Um, it's not a, a simple thing to address because in some states, say Mississippi, for example, the unemployment insurance compensation is very low. And so you, it, it may well make sense to continue having that $600 a week uh, extra payment there. But then in other states like Oregon, for example, the uh, unemployment insurance is very generous. And uh, you're hearing a lot of reports coming from the state of Oregon where uh, businesses are having a difficult time getting their employees to return to work because of that. How many more of these types of bills do you think we're going to need? Or is that really not possible to be kind of calculated because it all depends Mm -hmm. on things that we don't have enough information on right now? Yeah. Well, I I think uh, another bill is needed. Um, I I think we're going to see this round of uh, payroll protection program funding run out pretty quickly. And I think there will be uh, a large call for for more of it. And I think it's warranted. Um, We've basically uh, frozen a large sector of the economy. And uh, we need this just as relief for stabilization to keep businesses afloat till we can open up more. Um, I would um, also say that there's a looming issue regarding the finances of state and local governments that is hovering over this. And we're starting to see some partisan division on that issue that we haven't seen with regards to the other aspects of of these relief programs. Uh, The problem is that a lot of states have underfunded pension programs, as do a lot of cities and counties. And uh, some, particularly uh, Republicans, are uh, less willing to provide a package that provides relief to state governments if it's going to bail out uh, some of these pension programs that had problems dating to years before uh, this coronavirus uh, broke out. But that said, if uh, state governments uh, aren't given some kind of relief and they go bankrupt, that's going to cause some really serious disruptions within the economy as well. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that our, our leaders in Congress can come up with some kind of solution that uh, uh, provides that relief so that vital state government programs continue while uh, perhaps maybe not bailing out the pensions that uh, made some irresponsible decisions and irresponsible promises in the past. What are your biggest concerns? We're pumping so much money, we're printing so much money, and Right. We've got to get through this moment. I don't think anybody right. disagrees with that. But this doesn't mm-hmm. happen in a vacuum. Six months, right. a year, five years. What are you concerned, assuming we get the virus under control and get back to a semblance of normalcy? What are the big concerns you have from what's being done right now that are going to linger economically, financially in this country? Mm-hmm. Well. There's going to be a tremendous amount of federal government debt to be repaid over the long term, and that is a burden on this generation and future generations as well. The numbers look comparable to the types of numbers you see when we're in large wars like World War II and World War I. And uh, those are large, scary numbers, but I guess I, I have some optimism uh, because we got through those wars and we were able to uh, find a way to pay off the debt from them. But 
at the same time, it's uh, still a large amount of money. We may pay that through higher taxes, or we may pay for it uh, somehow through higher inflation. Either way, there's there's going to be a, a day of reckoning or several years of reckoning to pay off for all of this. You can't just stop all economic production or a large portion of economic production for two to three months and uh, not expect to have to pay the price sometime. So I, I think it's it's reasonable to expect that to slow down our economic growth even after the concerns about the virus pass away. I, I also just have concerns about how long the period of things like social distancing and you know, precautions taken against the coronavirus will weigh on the economy. The most optimistic estimates about a vaccine, say, next summer, and that's uh, you know not even considering the time required to manufacture and distribute the vaccine to a large part of the population. And so it, I, I see a long period of people having to take precautions that just slow down economic activity. And uh, that can have effects both over that period and, and for a long time after that. I, I think this, this whole event could make businesses less optimistic, less willing to invest. That has uh, an effect of slowing down uh, economic activity. And it also has the effect of making consumers less likely to make uh, large purchases, which also weighs down the economy. So I, I think a big task for our leaders going forward is to find ways to build optimism, build confidence so that people are willing to take risks again uh, and continue to invest in, in our research development, new projects, new factories, uh, the kind of things that are going to provide us with the economic growth we need for the long term. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 